we are continuing our series in the uh, the book of Acts, and uh, we're going to spend our summer going through kind of different highlights of the book of Acts and how the Holy Spirit worked through the early church. I want to thank Pastor Mike for doing a great job, as always, last week and helping me uh, tackle uh, this series on the Holy Spirit. And uh, what I love about the book of Acts is it shows the church in its infantile stage uh, doing extraordinary things through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And what's interesting about God is that he's not really looking for the most qualified people. Amen? I, I personally say amen. He's not necessarily looking for the most educated or the ones that think they have it all together. And what's interesting about the, the book of Acts in this early church, Jesus assembled these, these disciples who really didn't have, many of them didn't really have an educated background such as, as Peter. And then, and then we see them doing these extraordinary things for God. And, 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 and one thing that just kind of convicts my heart about the church in America sometimes, I, I think we know how to do church and and maybe we know how to put the right people in the right positions. And, and I think almost we put it on autopilot because we've got the gifts and the talents. And, and we kind of put forth all these programs and we kind of do it in our own strength. And, and I'm wondering sometimes if we leave out the Holy Spirit. I wonder if sometimes we don't really depend on God to do great things. And, and for those of you that have been with me on different overseas missions trips, you'll know that the church overseas is, is really different from the church in America because they may, they may lack the necessities that we might have or the luxuries that we have. But the one thing that I see many times in the church overseas that they do have, which is more important, is they have the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to do extraordinary things when they lack what we seem as all the resources to make a great church. You know, if we took away all the screens and the lights and the air conditioning and the comfy chairs, I wonder how much would we really serve or depend on God. We were in uh, Guatemala a couple of years ago, and I was with the missionary, and, and, and the school we were working on, had, uh, it, it was in a village there, and they're starting a church there. It was really cool. And, and um, the missionary would walk around the homes when he would go to that village where the school was being built, where he oversaw it, and he would minister to the families. And about two or three years ago, there was a family there, and a little girl was very sick. I don't know if she had pneumonia or she just terrible, just cold and just congested. And they couldn't see a doctor. They didn't have the money to go see a doctor. And he was trying to find some medication to, to help her that, that they had on the site there. And he said, Barden, would you come down and, and, and come into this family's home? And, and would you pray for this little five-year-old little girl that is just, you know, is sick and so we did, and we went in, into the home, and the mother was so grateful, the father was so grateful. We came into the home, and we just we laid hands on that little girl just to, to God to heal her. That's all we had. We didn't have a doctor. We, didn't, we had Dr. Jesus, which is better than any other doctor I can think of. And we just went, and we laid hands on her and just believed that God would heal her. Well, here's an incredible thing. God is so good. That afternoon, when we were doing a program up in that job site, that little girl was up there with her mom, worshiping the Lord and watching the thing. I'm like, what? I mean, for my faith, I was like, did I really believe that God could heal her? Because we're so dependent on all this other stuff that I'm thinking, have we lost the sense and awe of what the Holy Spirit can do through our inadequacies? 
Have we really become dependent on God to the point to where I'm like, God, I am so desperate for you that I'm not going to depend on the things that I have. I just want to depend on you. And that's why I believe God did such great things through the early church is because there was such a dependency on the Holy Spirit to do things that they could not do within themselves. And Peter was a prime example, a Galilean who probably had no education, a fisherman, and here he is leading hundreds of people to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as we go through the book of Acts, I I, I want us as a church to really understand what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church? Have we become so dependent on ourselves and our giftings and our resources that we've kind of left out the Holy Spirit? And uh, I, I want a genuine move of God through our hearts that says, Jesus, I just need you. I can't do it without you. And so what I love about the author Luke here as he, as he speaks and as he writes Uh, the book of Acts, he talks about the relationship between the Holy Spirit and the church. And and what's amazing here, we see the Holy Spirit filling the church. We see the Holy Spirit empowering the church. We see the Holy Spirit gifting the church with special abilities to actually build the church. And And I think what's happened over the years, specifically in America, is we've lost the teaching of the Holy Spirit. We've kind of relegated the Holy Spirit to some mystical force or, or this third person of the Trinity or, or, or we've just relegated it to Father, Son, Holy Bible. And, and I understand that, that we have two camps of people that, that either you, you were raised maybe in a church that never spoke of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and the power of the Holy Spirit that could occur in your life or, or, you're at, or you're at another camp where there's just a lot of bad teaching and a lot of emotionalism that came with it and and uh, just plain silliness about the teachings of of the Holy Spirit. And my prayer for us today is that we would be in the middle of the road as a church and that we would be balanced in this view, that we wouldn't wouldn't, uh, be unbiblical in our understanding of the Holy Spirit, but yet we wouldn't just not ever talk about it because through the whole book of Acts, we see the working and the power of the Holy Spirit through the early church. And I believe that that same Holy Spirit that worked through the early church can still work through the church today if we allow him to do it. And so our hearts have to be open to that. So what I wanted to do is just to begin, you can look at your notes here. Before we actually get into the, the chapter I want to get into today, I just want to give you some, so just some key characteristics about the Holy Spirit. I just want to give you a little teaching here about who the Holy Spirit is and why the Holy Spirit is so important in the life of the church. So if, if you want to fall asleep now, you can. But uh, hopefully this isn't too boring for you. But I just want to give you some solid teaching here on what the Word of God has to say about uh, the characteristics and the personhood of the Holy Spirit. First of all, the Holy Spirit, we understand through the Scripture, is a divine person because he possesses a, a, a mind, emotions, and will. Let's get out of this notion. I know sometimes... You've heard in the Word of God, the Holy Ghost. And so when you hear the Holy Ghost, you think of this spirit thing entity that you'd see on a ride as you'd go through Disney World. Okay, that's not what it is, okay? The Holy Spirit actually is a, a, a divine person within the Trinity of God that possesses both mind, emotion, and will. Let me give you some, some scripture here to, to understand that. 1 Corinthians 2.10 says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths 
of God. So we know the Spirit has emotion and mind and a will. We understand through Scripture, secondly here, that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. We can actually cause the Holy Spirit's sorrow over our sin. So when you feel convicted about something as a follower of Jesus Christ, that's the Holy Spirit within you that's showing you that light and darkness can no longer mix. That when the truth of Christ comes into your heart, when you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior and you've bowed to his lordship, the word of God says we are now sealed with the Holy Spirit, that actually our bodies become the temple of the Holy Spirit, that God's presence doesn't dwell in a building or a temple or a tabernacle like we saw in the Old Testament, but in Acts chapter 2, as we discussed two weeks ago, that on the day of Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit came and empowered those 120 believers that came and prayed for God to do something great in their lives so that God could thrust them out into the world to be his people. So the church isn't the four walls. This isn't the church. You don't go to church. You come to a building, which is a nice building that's air conditioning, nice comfy seats. This is a great, we have great facilities here. You come to a facility, a building. The church is you. God has filled you with his Holy Spirit as a follower of Jesus Christ. So wherever you go, guess what? It's the church. So you can have church right at your jobs when you begin to fellowship with somebody. Have you ever met somebody and you just got talking to them? I mean, we were on, on vacation and, and um, there's a woman. And there's key words that Christians kind of throw out that you know, okay, this person knows what they're talking about. And I'm talking to this one person and they just kept throwing out the words blessing and God is good. And so I'm going. So I just looked at her and I said, amen, sister. She looked at me and goes, amen, brother. And we had, I don't know where I was, but we just had church right there. Whatever store I was at, we just had church and started talking about the Lord. It was awesome. So church isn't in a building. This is just brick and mortar and, you know, drywall, whatever. The church is you. So, so we can grieve the Holy Spirit or cause sorrow. Let's look at Ephesians 4 there. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So literally, when you feel that grieving of the Holy Spirit in your life, it's because obviously we're missing something that God desires us to do. And sin can pull us away from God's desire and his will in our life. And so we can actually grieve the Spirit within us. And we feel that in our lives when we disobey and we're not obedient to God and his word. The third thing there is the Spirit, also the word of God tells us, great characteristic of the Holy Spirit, is that the Spirit intercedes for us literally praying on our behalf. Isn't that cool? I love this verse in Romans 8, 26 and 27. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Have you ever been to a point in your life where you just felt so weak, so zapped of your strength that you couldn't even pray? I mean, you just had, you had to call somebody else or have your spouse or your kids or somebody else just pray for you because you say, I am so tapped out. I am so burnt out. I am so sick. I just can't even pray. I need someone to intercede for me. And what I love about this characteristic of the Holy Spirit, it says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't even know what to pray, what we ought or pray at times, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for even words. And he searches the heart 
and knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Isn't that amazing that the Holy Spirit through you literally prays so that we line ourselves up with the will of God? And I'm just going to throw out a little teaser for you. Starting in September, the week after Labor Day, whatever Sunday that is, we're going to start a series on knowing the will of God. These series of messages are going to completely blow your concept away of what you thought the will of God is. I am so excited. We're going to look at God's will for you, for your marriage, for your finances. You will know after these series what the will of God is for your life. I guarantee it. it com- this message actually comes with a guarantee that you're going to know what the will of God is. I am so, I'm starting to write them already. I am so excited about these series of messages. So here the Holy Spirit, the scripture tells us, actually prays through us when we can't even pray ourselves and, and, and searches the, the mind of God so that we line up with the, with the will of God and what he desires for us and, and helps us get the mind of God so that, Lord, I want to know what you want for me. I want to know what your word says. And the Holy Spirit even helps you in the times of your weakness, when you don't feel the strength to, to seek those things out, the Holy Spirit within you helps and prays and helps you in your time of weaknesses so that you can stay strong and stay in the will of God. And fourthly, I love this characteristic about the Holy Spirit. He's also our comforter, one who will stand by our side. And here's what Jesus says about the comforter, the Holy Spirit being our comforter. In John 14, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. The Greek word there is paraclete, a literal counselor, one who would stand with you and be your advocate, who would be with you forever. So even though Jesus was leaving his disciples, he says, I'm not going to leave you orphaned or abandoned. I'm going to send someone just like me in my presence to be with you. Unless I leave, the Holy Spirit cannot come. So that's the power of the Holy Spirit to be our comfort. Even though Jesus isn't physically with us here now, we have the presence of the Holy Spirit within our lives to be our helper. In the next chapter in John 15, Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness to me. And so he's our comforter, he's our helper, he's our counselor, he's that paraclete, the one that comes with us and comforts us and will always be with us even to the end of the age. And then lastly, the Holy Spirit, which I love, and we're going to talk about this as we get into Acts chapter 5, is the Holy Spirit is God. He is one with the Father and Son, working in perfect essence and unity with one another. So the Holy Spirit is God, one with the Father and the Son. And Luke brings this to light in the book of Acts. And one place where the person of the Holy Spirit is brought to light is in the fifth chapter of Acts. And I I like this characteristic of the Holy Spirit and the way that the apostles speak about the Holy Spirit concerning this situation that happened in the early church. It's an intriguing story of judgment and the serious consequences of dishonesty. And, and I want you to look as we read uh, Acts chapter 5, the first 11 verses, I want you to notice how they speak about the Holy Spirit as being equal with God and the importance of integrity before the Lord, especially as a follower of Jesus Christ and who is filled with the Holy Spirit. So if you've got your notes there, or you can look up at the screens, or if you've got your Bibles, or if you've got your phones, or if you've got your iPads, whatever you got, turn to Acts chapter 5. We're going to read the first 11 verses. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation here. 
We're going to look at the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And so let's see what happened here in the early church. Remember, the early church is being assembled. They're starting to meet together as groups. God is saving many, many people daily are coming into the church through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the church is beginning to grow and the church is beginning to come together. And uh, so God brings some cleansing here in the early church. And as we read the story, you might be thinking, why did God just throw a monkey wrench in, into what was happening here? I mean, I mean, what God does here, th- this could really hurt the church. This could really cause a lot of problems within the early church because God's sending judgment. But I want you to understand something about the characteristic of God. God is a loving God, but God is also a just God. And if he, if he wasn't a loving God, he wouldn't be just. And we understand that every single one of us are born with sin. And, and there's a penalty because of our sin. And if God didn't judge sin, then there was no purpose or reason why Jesus went to the cross. Jesus died a horrible death not just because he was obedient and he had to. He died a horrible death because there was no out for you and I. Without the death of Christ, we could not find forgiveness for our sin because we were helpless in the state of our sin. We needed a Savior. So don't patronize Jesus by saying, oh, that was cute what Jesus did on the cross. or what you know, That's nice. Jesus loves me and he died for me. No, he took the wrath of God for you. He who knew no sin bore our sin and took the wrath of God that should have been poured out on me was poured out on his son. So God is loving. And because he's loving, he sent us his son to deal with our sin issue that we couldn't deal with ourselves. That's how much he loves you. Amen? God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, As you read this story, try not to read it in the context of, man, God is so mean. No, God is loving here. And because he's loving, he has to judge sin. So read it in that context, okay? So let's start with verse 1. But there's a certain man whose name was Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold some property and he brought part, part of the money to the apostles claiming it was the full amount with his wife's consent, and he kept the rest. Okay, so there was a little mix of deception that was going on here between both of them. And Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say you lied to God or you lied to Jesus. He said you lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wish, which means I didn't come and force you to give you this money. This was completely by your free will to give this money. We didn't demand it from you. You, could, you freely could give us this money. We didn't expect it, but you, you gave it as your free will, as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. You could have kept it. You didn't have to give it to us. We didn't demand it from you. It was your will to do that. And how could you do such a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but you were lying to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Yikes. Everyone who heard about this was terrified. Then some young men got up and wrapped him in sheets and took him out and buried him. And about three hours later, here comes his wife, not knowing what has happened. Yikes. 
Verse 8, Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for this land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And, P- and, and Peter even gave her an out. He gave her a chance to own up to the lie. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. And when the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her body out and buried her beside her husband. And look at verse 11. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Okay, now I want you to remember something here. Before you step back and say, man, God is a mean God. How he, could, how he didn't even give them a chance. How, he, how could he do something like that? I want you to remember, this is the church in its infantile state. And I want you to remember something. God is a loving God. But remember that God does not overlook sin. He can't overlook sin. And I think what's happened in America, we've given such a gospel of ooey-gooey, fluff-a-nutter, message of God that just gives you a toothache sometimes about the love of God, the love of God. And I know that God is loving. Don't get me wrong. He is. But unless we understand about the justice of God and that God will judge our sins, we can never understand the magnitude of his grace that he went to to save you and I. Does that make sense? The more you understand the justice of God and his judgment that he will judge sin, the more you realize for the grace of God I could never be saved. And so you understand the magnitude of the grace that God went through to save you, not for yourselves, not that any works that you could do, not by the amount of church attendance or Bible reading, but simply by the mercy of Jesus Christ dying for you and by you falling on that mercy and realizing, God, I can't do it without you and I need Jesus. And putting your faith in him, that's where you experience God's grace and salvation. And people, if it doesn't start there, you're going to live a miserable Christian life because you're going to constantly, constantly try to work out your salvation through your works by trying to gain God's acceptance. Stop it. Stop trying to gain God's acceptance by what you do. It's already been done for you. Your good works, the Bible says, are filthy rags under the Lord. Really? You helping that old lady across the the street? Okay, that was a nice thing, but you think that's getting you brownie points in heaven? If you haven't repented of your sin, those works are meaningless under the Lord. Those are all things we're trying to do. And I was talking to another gentleman last night at a wedding that I had to do, and he came up to me and said, you know, I really appreciate what you said at the ceremony. He began to give me his little spiritual background and stuff, so... Kathleen's next to me. I'm like, I'm like, okay, how can I insert the gospel in here? How can I insert the gospel? And he gave me a little window. I'm like, boom, there it is. So I went right in. And I said, you know what? He goes, what? And I said, I hate religion. And he looked at me and went, what? And I said, yeah, I just hate religion. I go, you know why? Because religion is man's attempt to try to reach God. And it's futile and you can never do it. But I said, here's a different thing about a true relationship with God. Jesus reached out to us, even in our sinful state. So I did it like in five. And then you could tell, he goes, oh, God, he didn't want to hear any more of it. But I got it in there. I slipped it in. And I looked at Kathleen. I said, I got it in. And through all the other mishmash that we were talking about, I slipped in the gospel as quick as I could and let him chew on it for a while. But here's the thing. 
Many times we're try, we try to figure out, oh, God does this, God's doing this. No, no, no. God's already done it for us. He's given us all the instructions. He's reached out to us already. So the true way to know God is by figuring out what he already did for us, not what I think I need to do for him. He's already done for us. So as we read this, it seems harsh, but it really isn't. It's really God's grace here. As weird as that may sound, it's God working on behalf of the church to make the church pure. There's a cleansing that's going on here in Anais and Sapphira were the example that brought fear before the Lord that you don't mess with God's holiness. And I think we need to hear more about that than the church today. At least I think we need to, all right? So let's see what happens. At first glance, you think it's harsh. God deals harshly with this couple that God was making an example of them. But I want you to remember the church was in its infant stage and believers were sharing what they had and blessing those in need. In need. And this incident could have broken the unity and the purity of the church. And God wanted to bring this, this holy fear amongst the church to say, listen, we need to be careful in what we're doing here, that we continually need to honor God and not bring deception. Their deception was a direct violation of the Spirit's unity within the church. And what was the deeper issue here? We know that they lied and thus sinned against God. However, this incident was also a matter of character. The integrity of the church rides on those who claim to be followers of Christ. And how many of you, you, you ever got deceived by someone? You, you got sold a bill of goods and, and, and then it didn't deliver. And you ever got just ripped? You, know, you just got ripped off. You just got ripped off. It kind of reminds me of the, the movie The Wizard of Oz. Okay, spoiler alert, if you've never seen The Wizard of Oz, get a life, okay? So here, here's The Wizard. And, you know, here you've got, the, you've got Dorothy's on the, the, the yellow brick road going to this wonderful place of Oz, and she, she meets up with uh, uh, the scarecrow, and, and, and she meets up with the, the lion and the tin man, and all of them have their issues. They all have got their problems, okay? So the, the tin man wants a heart, the lion needs courage, and the, the scarecrow needs a brain because he just has hay in his hat and his brain. So they're promised that they go to the wizard that they'll get all these things. So remember, they go to the wizard, and there's that big green, huge head, and, and he says, I'll promise you all these things if, if you get the broom from the wicked witch of the West, right? So now they've got to go back out to the witch's castle, and they've got to find the broom, and they finally get the broom and the, the, the witch disintegrates from the water and goes down and, into the hole there and disintegrates. So they go back. They bring the broom to the, to the, the Wizard of Oz, right? They say, okay, we're ready. Give me the heart. Give me the brain. Give me the courage. Let me go back to Kansas to see my Annie N. Okay, here it is. And what happened? He didn't do it and he's fumbling around. And all of a sudden, Toto go behind the curtain, opens up the curtain. Behind the curtain is this man moving levers. And one of the best phrases ever in any movie that's ever been written is, don't mind that man behind the curtain, right? Don't pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. I think that's the best coin phrase ever in, in any movie ever written, maybe besides Rocky, Adrian. That's, those two are my top two right there. Yo, I mean, come on. Yo, Adrian is the best. Okay. And they're deceived, right? There's a man. There's not some wizard. There's just some man pulling some levers behind a thing. To, all this smoke and screen. And, and, and they got deceived. They weren't really honest with them. You see, integrity 
is a vital characteristic of a follower of Christ. And, and if we have to define integrity, here, here's really what the issue was with the Nias and Sapphira. They lied to the Holy Spirit, but there was an integrity issue within their life that caused them to feel free to lie about what they actually gave. Because we, we may be thinking to ourselves, well, what's the big deal here? You know, really, what's the big deal? Well, you know, people have defined integrity as who we are when no one is looking. But the true sense of the word is this. Integrity is defined as wholeness or the state of being entire or uprightness. It kind of comes from, the the word kind of comes from a a meaning of like the hull of a a ship, the depth and the strength of the hull of the ship, the the fortitude of of that ship. And so the issue with Anais and Sapphira was they were not entirely whole. There, there, was, there was not this depth to their life in Christ. And many would say, well, what's the big deal here? It was their money anyways. Even Peter stressed that. Everybody does it as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. So what's the big deal if they fudged the truth? They still gave money, right? Even though they kept some, they still gave some money. Isn't that enough? <clears throat> the problem was... This was a direct lie to the Holy Spirit. They were overt in their deception. And I want you to remember that sin and its embryonic stage always starts in the heart. There was a heart issue. It's not what they gave. It's not that, oh, what's the big deal? They gave part of the giving to the church. The big deal is here they lied about what they gave. There was a heart issue And I say this to you all the time as your pastor. When you're making decisions in your life, and the moment you find yourself justifying the decision you're making, it's an integrity issue. Have you ever found yourself doing that? Well, the reason I did is because I, you know, and with this and that and this person, and you're just, just, you know, your spouse is looking at you going, "Eh, eh, survey says, eh." no, you're justifying it, right? To make yourself feel better about the decisions that you're making when you know, if you honestly looked at yourself in the mirror, deep down in your heart, and sometimes we just need to do an honest assessment of ourselves and look in the mirror and say, why am I making this decision? What is the real reason? Not all the lies I've made up to make everybody else feel better or to convince them. What is the real reason why I'm doing this? And sometimes we just need to go heart to heart with ourselves and say, what is the real reason why I'm doing this? And so God did not want the integrity of the church to be compromised. And we know that Satan is the father of lies and and he can't have any place within the body of Christ or it it will break the foundation or the hull or the integrity of the church. So God meant business. And notice the reaction of the church. Great fear struck the church. This was a healthy fear of God. This was God's grace upon the church to keep the church intact. This brought correction to the church. They were not to take God for granted. So the the compromise of Anais and Sapphira revealed their weakness and their spiritual integrity, and they failed this test of integrity. So I want to just, as I finish the message today, I just want to give you a couple things here on the test of integrity. And, And I believe there's many tests that will occur in our life to test the integrity of our lives. But I believe these are the two main tests of our integrity. Now, how many of you would be confident to fly in a plane or drive over a bridge that wasn't tested? 
or you were unsure about the integrity of the design. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't do it. And many of you remember in, in uh, 2007, a bridge in Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, over the Mississippi collapsed with all these cars on it and on August 1st. And uh, 13 people were killed and 145 were injured. And as they did the result of the test of the bridge, they found that there was a design flaw. There was a flaw in the integrity of the bridge. I was watching a show one time, I don't know it was on Discovery or whatever, of the 20 most dangerous bridges in the world. So I thought, this would be cool to watch. I'm flipping through it. And they went to a commercial break. And, they, and the commercial break, they said, okay, next, we'll be going to Capos, Costa Rica to show you bridge number seven or eight or whatever it was. I'm like, Capos, Costa Rica? We've been there like three times. And then I got thinking back, oh, yeah, there was that bridge. How many of those you went to Capos, Costa Rica? You remember that bridge? It was like two planks, you know, and it was just, and we're in this big bus going over it. It was number eight on the list of the most dangerous bridges in the world. And I said, I've been on that one. Now, looking back, I thought, cool. I was on one of the most dangerous bridges in all the world. And then we went back. And thank God they replaced it. It was no longer on the list because they replaced it. I, I, you know, I, you, all you know, I like to fish. And fishing line is determined by the test or the strength of the line. How much stress can be placed on the line before it fails? And there's no worse feeling in the world when your line breaks and you got the biggest fish in the world, at least you thought you did, and your line breaks. Engineers have certain tests to determine the integrity of certain things. Integrity is seen through the fortitude of, of certain situations. And, 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 and there are certain tests that will prove or disprove our integrity. And I just want to give you a couple this morning. And so we need to examine our lives to determine the condition of our soul. And there are things that will happen in our lives that will determine the condition of our soul. And sometimes this is okay. When you mess up, it's okay sometimes. Because there's the forgiveness of God that when we confess our sins, He cleanses us. And the Word of God is full of people who messed up, yet were still considered men of God. David was considered a man after God's own heart, and he is not the poster child for integrity. Can I get an amen? Amen. You know, he committed adultery. He committed murder. He had a man sent to the front lines. He tried to cover his tracks. I mean, he did all sorts of things. He wasn't a good father. I mean, he did all, he messed up big time. Yet Psalm 51 shows us the heart of David as he repented before the Lord and, and sought God's heart even in the midst of the mess ups in his life. So that's the good news. So when we do mess up and we're going to make mistakes and you will make mistakes, And when God convicts your heart, there's the cleansing power of God that when you come before him and say, God, I'm sorry, I made a mistake here. And I repent before this thing. Cleanse me anew and afresh by your blood. And so I want to look at these certain tests that will happen. And and to answer the questions of integrity, I believe, are found in how we pass these tests. And two of these, I believe, are the most difficult tests that we face when it comes to to integrity. Let me give you the first one, and I believe the first one isn't the major test. You may think it is, but it's not. The second one is the major test. First one is a test, but it's not the one that usually causes the most people's downfall. The second one is. Before we get to let me give the first one. The first test of integrity is the, is the test of adversity. I love this verse in Proverbs 
New Living Translation, it says, if you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. Your fortitude, the hull of your ship is too weak. You see, it's during the times of trouble and temptation that we find how deep or how strong our faith really is. It's during those times we find out who we really are. Jesus even said in John 16, 33, he says, I want to give you peace, but remember this, that in this world you will have tribulation. You will have trials. It's not going to be a cakewalk. But he says, take heart, for I've overcome the world, right? Jesus never promised us an easy life. And if you think that Jesus promises you an easy life, you're going to be gravely mistaken when something comes in your life that turns your life upside down. And that adversity is going to test the integrity of your soul and what you really believe and what you really believe is true. It's during those times of trials and and impurities of our life that are exposed many times during trials and adversities. So here's what I want you just to understand. Many times when we go through trials and adversity or or disappointment in our lives, we turn to the very things that aren't going to help us. And what begins to happen is we turn to those very things that we think are going to give us comfort and security, and they become addictions in our lives. Let me just be real with some of you here this morning. If you find yourself up late at night browsing websites you know you shouldn't be on, something's wrong. I heard, I was talking with a friend of mine the other day at the wedding, and she said her her 15-year-old son went to church camp and one of the nights they talked about pornography. And they got this group of boys together. They split the boys and the girls up together. And they began to talk to the boys. They began to ask the boys if they ever viewed pornography. 95% did. 95% did. People, we've got to get our heads out of the sand. This is a real issue. And if you're struggling with that today, it's an integrity issue. If that thing were being exposed to your wife or husband... It's an integrity issue. Let's call it what it is. It's not shades of gray. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? It's not soft porn. It's not this. It's sin. And it takes us away from the will of God. Let me define what sexual immorality is so everybody gets it very clear here, okay? You can write me hate mail all you want. I don't care because this is what the word of God says. It's an integrity issue. Anything outside the marriage bed is sin. Period. That's what the Word of God says. I love you all, okay? Let's join him and sing Kumbaya right now, okay? I love you guys. But that's, the Word of God tells us to keep the marriage bed pure. It's an integrity issue. Anything that you bring from outside, well, you say, well, I'm not even a fair, I'm just looking at it. Yeah, you are. You're bringing something into that marriage bed that's impure, that's out of the will of God, that's meant for your spouse and your spouse alone. God designed marriage to be between a husband and a wife. The husband shall leave his father and mother, and the two of them shall become one flesh. They will literally cling to each other, bringing nothing else in between that relationship. I've been pastoring 22 years, and I'll tell you what, I just get blunt with people now, and when they come in for marriage problem, the first question I ask is, are you looking at pornography? I don't even care. I just say, are you looking at pornography? Let's just, let's just get to it. Let's stop dancing. Let's stop beating around the bush. Are you, having, are you having trouble with pornography? Bottom line. And that's usually what it is. So, okay, let's deal with that. And let's see how we can find hope and forgiveness and healing in Jesus' name. And there is hope. And there is forgiveness. And we can break those habits and addictions in our lives through the power of 
of Christ so that God can bring healing and forgiveness and so he can restore your marriage and restore your personal life to where God wants it to be, whole and pure before him. You see, the problem is it's, a, it's, a, it's an integrity issue. Okay, I'm on a roll now, so I'm going to keep going, okay? Facebook, let's talk a little bit about Facebook, okay? I know I'm on Facebook. All you guys, I'm never hardly on it, but I'm on it. Some of you say, I wrote you a Facebook. I, the last time I was on it was like a month ago, but it's just not my thing. But then you're on Facebook. Facebook's fine. You can interact with people, blah, blah, blah. But here's something I want you to be very careful about. Some relationships are meant to be forever buried. My brother-in-law, who's a, who's a pastor in South Carolina, said this to me, and I, it just stuck with me. He goes, Barden, old girlfriends and old boyfriends need to be buried. We should not be starting up relationships with them. And I couldn't agree more with them. So let me just say this. It's an integrity issue. Does your spouse know all the friends that you have? Would you allow them to look at your Facebook page and say, okay, here are the conversations I'm having with people? Do you know? I'm just saying, I'm not saying Facebook is evil. So before you write me, is Facebook evil? But no, we have a Facebook page for our church. We can do great things with it. It's fine. I'm saying integrity issue. Are there relationships that are inappropriate that you know of in your Facebook time or people or friends that you know that if your spouse knew that you're talking that you'd be uncomfortable with that conversation. You need to end that. Capish? Okay, thank you, Ruth Brooks. Okay, she's with me. Ruth isn't on Facebook, so she can say amen. So just teasing her. Okay, do you still love me? Okay, I'm just checking. Okay, I'm just saying. These are integrity issues, okay? And these are all, te- you're thinking, well, Pastor, what has this got to do with adversity? You see, these are all things that will test the true character of your heart. When you're tempted to go to a site that you know you shouldn't go to, when you're tempted to start up a relationship that you know you shouldn't be going down that road and you're starting that up, it's an integrity, it's an adversity issue. It's a point in the road where you've got to say, I've got to make a choice here to say no because I know this is not healthy. So don't resurrect them. Don't look up old boyfriends or girlfriends. Don't be alone with the opposite sex. These are all areas of integrity. And we must continue to examine our lives in these areas because I love you as your pastor. And I want your marriages and your relationships to be pure before the Lord so you can find wholeness before Christ in your relationship before him. See, during the time of Christ, there was these tests to determine real and counterfeit coinage. A strict test was used to to detect fake coins because fake coins wouldn't stand up to the scrutiny. And what they did to test these coins, whether or not they were counterfeit or not, is that they would actually refine them. And by refining them, the impurities would be removed from the metal and they would basically go through three tests. The metal would be put under the fire three times. Each time the fire would be turned up a degree hotter and hotter and hotter. And to the naked eye, you really couldn't see the impurities until it was placed under the fire. So to the naked eye, you you couldn't see the impurities. Only through the test of the fire could these reveal, the impurities, could they be revealed and removed. So when a temptation comes your way and you're tested and there's an adversity, you've got a choice. Am I going to choose Christ? 
Or am I going to give in to this temptation? Remember, temptation is not a sin. Jesus was, was tempted also, but he didn't sin. So temptation may come your way, and it's going to test. And either we give in to it, and we say, man, I really messed up. And what you need to do is take a reflective look at yourself and say, okay, there's a crack in my hull. There's a crack in my foundation. There's something deep in my heart. Don't, don't just blow it off. Don't make excuses for it. Embrace it and say, okay, Christ, through this test of adversity, through this test of temptation, it's revealed something in my heart that is wrong before you. And I know you know it because, because what they said, what Peter said to them is, you just didn't lie to us. You lied to God and he already knows what went on. What are you trying to do? Who are you trying to fool? Come on. God knows. So what we try to do is we bury it, we hide it, we package it, we make it look nice and neat and we try to justify it to make it not look as good as, or try to make it, you know, make it look better than really what it is and we need to call it for what it is and say, this is wrong and I need to call it out and I need to make it right. And that's where repentance comes and forgiveness through the grace of God. So the question is, are we like, what are we like when the fire is turned up? Do we give up? Do we blame God? Do we easily give into temptation? Do we lose our, our temper? All these issues are, are issues of integrity. Are we willing to stand firm when adversity comes? Okay, the last one. And I believe this is the hardest one. This is the test of success. And I believe this will test every single one of us here because if you're here, you may say, well, pastor, I'm not rich. I don't have a lot of money. Well, you, if you drove your car here this morning, you are in the 99th percentile of the whole world of being wealthy. If you've got indoor plumbing, you're wealthy. Amen? You're wealthy. Proverbs 27, 21 says, the first test of purity, uh, the, the fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but a person is tested by being praised. I love that verse. Nothing will test your integrity more than success or prosperity. Why? Because pride can easily set in when we, be, when we begin to believe that we did it. One of the growing trends in college entrance exams today are students are cheating to get in. Now, some of these students are smart, but in order to keep up with the pressure of getting into the right college, they've come up with these huge cheating schemes. I mean, they're massive. Impre I mean, just the brain power to get around the system to cheat. I'm like, these guys are brilliant. They could probably just take the test and do it. But this is what they do. They, they charge $100 or whatever. Some of these kids are taking the test for other kids to get these high SAT scores so they can get into the right college. What's the problem? It's a matter of integrity. It's pressure on them to succeed. So the pressure of success causes them to drain their integrity by cheating on exams so that they can get into the right colleges. See, it's in these times that we can let down our guard. We feel like we don't need to be accountable or even feel untouchable. And for many of us to keep up the appearances, we go, we go ahead and we cut corners and we ultimately sell our integrity for money or a cheap affair. And so we need to ask ourselves, is it worth it? It's not worth it. That's the integrity part. And so what we were to say to God, we're saying, God, I need to give you my time. I need to give you my talent. And I need to give you my treasure. I need to give you everything, Lord. Are, are, am I doing with everything that you've given me, God? Are, am I doing what you desire me to do with those things? 
God, am I holding things back from you? Or am I making something that really isn't true about you? And some of you here today, you're battling with stuff and guilt from the past, and you need to make those things right before the Lord. It's a matter of integrity. My father, when he worked at Kodak, he went on a business trip to Denver, Colorado. And when he was there, the other managers, my, the other managers really ran up their, 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 their food account. And when they came back to Rochester, the other managers were looking at my dad's account, and they were looking at their account, and they're saying, hey, Barden, your, um, your food bill is really, really low compared to ours. And um, they wanted him to fudge his uh, food account to match theirs by whatever scheme they wanted to do. And the reason was these guys went out drinking every night and really racked it up on alcohol. My dad says he wasn't drinking. He doesn't drink. He says, no. And he, he looked at those other managers. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do it. And he had all this pressure from all these other managers for him to bend. Now, he could have easily done it. No one would have said anything. He goes, well, we're going to get in trouble for doing it. My dad's like, well, then you get in trouble. But I'm not going to I, I am not going to sacrifice my integrity for the sake of what you did that was wrong. You see, it's in those little things, people, that will test us. Adversity, success, that will test us. You know, when success comes your way or praise comes your way, do we just receive it ourselves and say, oh, look how great I am. Look how good I am. Man, I am awesome. I'm just awesome, aren't I? And what we tend to do is we take that and we just become prideful in what we do. And we all know that pride comes before a fall, right? God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes those that are prideful. And so in our lives, all I'm asking you for, for you to do this morning is to inspect your life and to say, God, what do I need to do? Where are some things in my life that I know I'm hiding from you? And that's really the story I want you to get behind Ananias and Sapphira. They kept back what they said they were going to give, and they didn't do it. And they made it look a lot better than it really was. And God purged the church at that moment to bring fear and to bring integrity into the life of the church. So I hope you don't feel like I beat you up too much this morning. It's because I love you. And God does the same thing through me. I read a book this week, and it just kicked my rear end the whole week. And God's been doing some deep things in my heart too. But unless we're going to grow as a church and grow in deeper fellowship, we need to deal with these issues. Amen? Amen? God desires living word to walk in integrity before him so that we have deep, authentic relationships with one another. That doesn't mean we're never going to struggle with sin. That's why we need each other. That's why we pray for each other. You know, I don't mention these things so that you run and hide in a cave and just hide in your sin and let no one know about it. I say these things so that you can come out into the light and find forgiveness and restoration. There is redemption in Christ. He doesn't keep us in the state that we are. He heals us and he forgives us and he brings that newness of life and that joy that you're looking for. But unless we come before him and we repent and we say, God, I missed you here, you can't find that joy in serving him. So what are you doing with everything that God has given you? Are you rightly giving to the Lord? Are you serving him the way the Lord desires you to serve him? It's a matter of integrity. Let the, when you feel the conviction in your heart, don't brush it away. There's something that the Lord's doing in your heart 
that he's trying to reveal in you to, to, to cause you to grow deeper in him so that he can use you in deeper and greater ways. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you today. I want you to bow your hearts with me today. Lord, I know this was a hard, hard message for us to hear and for me to hear. But Lord, I know that you want to do deep and great things in our hearts today. And I pray for every person here today that they wouldn't walk away from this message feeling condemned or feeling guilt. But Lord, they would walk away feeling, okay, Lord, I'm going to confess this to you. And Lord, if there's pride in my heart, if there's some integrity issues that I know that I've been kind of putting to the side and not dealing with, and I know that they're wrong, but I've kind of justified them. No matter how small or great they are, it's a big deal to God. And so, Lord, I pray that you would look into our hearts. We open them up to you today and we say, Lord, do what you need to do in our hearts today. And so, Lord, I thank you for your people. I know this was a hard message, but Lord, I thank you for your forgiveness today and the healing that can come. So, Lord, help us to make it right. Help us to make it right before you that we can live our lives correctly with integrity. And when we mess up, Lord, help us not to just bury it, but to expose it and say, okay, there's a crack in the hull of my spiritual life. Okay, Lord, you revealed it. You revealed it because you love me. And because it's revealed now, I give it to you and I ask for your forgiveness so that I can find wholeness and redemption in you. So I thank you for the power that you give us today. We love you and we praise you. Just work your plan in every person's heart here today as they grab your mind and your will in these situations. We want to serve you, Lord. So we thank you for this word today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Let's sing this to the Lord in closing today. And just... just just have your own alone time with the Lord today as we close and, and song today. And just let the Lord speak to your heart today, man. Sing it unto him. God bless you. All that I can do is thank you. All that I can do is pray. All that I can do is lift my voice.
let's just give the Lord praise. Thank Him for His Word today. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Lord, just go with us now. And God, I pray that each and every day we'd seek your face, that we would know that you love us and you care for us, that even in your judgment and even in repentance, Lord, we can find your grace. It's because you love us and you want wholeness in our lives. So help us to embrace that as much as we embrace your love, God, because we know how much you gave to us and we could never repay you. So we thank you for your grace that saves us today. So may we go in that today and help us to live our lives before you in obedience as we trust you each and every day in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day. God bless you, amen.